The Productive Woman, Episode 147. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast dedicated to productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Thanks for joining me. In this episode, we're going to do another installment of my productive reading series, this time talking about Charles Duhigg's fascinating book, The Power of Habit. You'll find links to resources I mentioned and more information in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 147. This episode is brought to you by Alt-MBA and FreshBooks. Alt-MBA is the program created by Seth Godin for those who want to up their leadership and management skills but are looking for an alternative to a traditional MBA program. Check it out at altmba.com slash productive women. More about them later. But first, I am delighted to welcome back FreshBooks as a returning sponsor. FreshBooks is an excellent online accounting software. You've heard me talk about it before because I've been using it myself for the past year, paying to use it. I pay for it. They're offering you, as a Productive Woman listener, a free 30-day all-access trial so you can find out for yourself how helpful and how usable it is. Those of you who are freelancers or solopreneurs or are running a small business owe it to yourselves to check it out, which you can do by visiting freshbooks.com slash woman. The all new FreshBooks is not only easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features that let you manage your business efficiently and effectively. You can set up and send customized professional looking invoices in seconds, accept online payment from your customers or clients, track the delivery and payment of invoices from the informative dashboard, and track your time and expenses right on your smartphone. It's simply a great tool for managing the finances for your business. As I said, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to Productive Woman listeners, and to claim it, you just go to freshbooks.com slash woman and enter the Productive Woman in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Okay, so let's get into this. We we did, uh, this is going to be, as I mentioned, a series that I'm doing just from time to time that I'm calling Productive Reading, where I'll share some of the highlights of a book that I've read that's been really interesting or informative or influential in my thinking about productivity. And in this case, I am talking about The Power of Habit, a book by Charles Duhigg. Um you know, why this book is so fascinating. And it really was fascinating to me. I first experienced this book as an audio book, listening to it when I commuted. And it was so interesting to me that I actually went out and bought a hard copy of it so that I could go back through it, highlight some things and, um, you know, just remember some of the points that I read or heard the first time around. And why it matters, why do we care about habit on a a podcast about productivity? Um, 
Well, productivity in the sense of making a life that matters and productivity in a sense of getting the things done that we care about has a lot to do with our behavior. It's all based on our behavior. And one of the quotes from the book that I think summarizes this, the value or of this book and what it talks about uh, as, as well as anything I could say, um, is, is this, um, the writer says habits as much as memory and reason are at the root of how we behave. We might not remember the experiences that create our habits, but once they are lodged within our brains, they influence how we act often without our realization. And that kind of sums up why this, why I decided to choose this book to talk about. Much of our life is spent doing the things that we have established as habits. So whether they're good or, or, or bad habits, it has a lot of impact on how productive we can be in both senses that we talk about it on this show, both in the sense of getting those things done that we care about and in the sense of making a life that matters. When we struggle with doing the things we want to do, the answer might be in the habits we have developed and that are really driving our, our day-to-day behavior. So what is a habit? There's a, a technical definition in the book that he shares, and it's, and I'm quoting here, the choices that all of us deliberately make at some point and then stop thinking about but continue doing often every day. He says they are a natural consequence of our neurology. That is, our brains have developed in a certain way and different components of our brain uh, control different parts of our behavior and habits live in or and are governed by the basal ganglia. That's the oldest and most primitive part of the brain as um, contrasted with the prefrontal cortex, which is where our reasoning lives, for instance. And uh, the book, as he goes throughout the book, he talks about a lot of really interesting case studies. I mean, the stories of real people, and then he goes into stories of organizations and communities and how habits affect our, their behavior. And, and the stories of the people he, he talks about in the book really are his way of demonstrating and explaining how scientists and, and researchers have learned where habits live in our brain and, um, how they impact our lives. And, uh, you know, what, one of the quotes that I thought was interesting was that, um, habits, the scientists tell us that habits, and I'm quoting here, emerge because the brain is constantly looking for ways to save effort left to its own devices. The brain will try to make almost any routine into a habit because habits allow our minds to ramp down more often. This effort saving instinct is a huge advantage. An efficient brain requires less room, which makes for a smaller head, which makes childbirth easier and therefore causes fewer infant and mother deaths. An efficient brain also allows us to stop thinking constantly about basic behaviors such as walking and choosing what to eat so we can devote mental energy to inventing spears, irrigation systems, and eventually airplanes and video games. And so that's kind of the... the I don't know, the importance or the, the, the background for why our brain has developed this tendency to create habits and why the basal ganglia, why they're stored there in that primitive part of the brain. As I said, the book shares 
these case studies, and, and he really tells them like just really fascinating stories about these individuals and how researchers have discovered how habits are formed or structured. And they, and it's something called the habit loop. And in the book, he says, first, there is a cue, a trigger that tells your brain to go into automatic mode and which habit to use. Then there is a routine, which can be physical or mental or emotional. Finally, there is the reward, which helps your brain figure out if this particular loop is worth remembering for the future. He goes on to say, over time, this loop, cue, routine, reward, cue, routine, reward, becomes more and more automatic. The cue and reward become intertwined until a powerful sense of anticipation and craving emerges. And why this is important like I said, it's a, or like the earlier quote says, it's, it's an energy saving uh, mechanism for the brain. And, and he says in the book, without habit loops, our brains would shut down, overwhelmed by the minutia of daily life. So habits are automatic actions and thought patterns that we fo- follow automatically without conscious thought. And they are everything from, I mean, if you think about it, when what's, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? What's the next thing you do? And you walk into the bathroom and you pick up your toothbrush and you always pick it up with the same hand and you reach for the toothpaste with the, the other hand and you brush the same way every time. And all these things are habits that have developed over time that you can um, you're you don't have to think about you don't think about your body seems to just have a mind of its own almost and and do these things without thinking a really good example and I encourage you to read this book because it's just so interesting and there's so much more than I can actually talk about. I'd love to share some of the the stories of some of these people, but uh, it would make for a very long episode. Um, but, you know, a really good example of, of habits developing is driving. And, you know, you remember when you first learned to drive and you had to think about every action. Okay, I'm going to, I'm in my seat. Uh, okay, I got to fasten my seatbelt, put my hands on the wheel. Oh, wait, no, I got to turn the key, turn the, uh, turn it on. Then I put my foot on the brake and I look in the mirror to make sure nobody's behind me. Then I shift it into reverse. I look again, I back up and, you know, every step that you take, um, when you're first learning, you have to think about it very consciously. Fast forward however many years you've been driving, and now you don't think about all those things anymore. And that's why we can, uh, this this habit uh, um, response or a habit thing in our brain is why we can drive a car and reach up and turn the radio down and talk to the person who's sitting in the seat next to us all of these things and still turning this, you know, on the turn signal, unless you're in Texas and people don't seem to want to use a turn signal, but that's a different story. Um, but we can do all those, those pieces of driving while not, uh, almost not consciously thinking about it. it. It's just an automatic response. And that's what habits are. They are things that we first chose intentionally to do, but over time they became automatic habits are, uh, there's so much about this book that, that I, you know, I wanted to share and I, and I'm trying to kind of pick the highlights here, but, um, 
habits are very powerful. They, they, they do things, um, they cause us to do things kind of, as I said, without thinking and sometimes not to our best, you know, for our best, um, results. And that's a, a habit. Maybe your response to stress. Um, you know, I, I was, I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, my, my response to stress is to look for something to eat. Um, because it, it, and it's, I, I find myself heading to the kitchen for something without really having consciously made the decision to go get something to eat. Or our response to anger may be a certain reaction. Our response to, uh, you know, the, the cue routine reward loop is very, very powerful, but they can be changed. And that's the main thing of this whole book and why it's so, Uh, so important to read. One of the things he says in the book is habits aren't destiny. They can be ignored, changed, or replaced. But the reason the discovery of the habit loop is so important is that it reveals a basic truth. When a habit emerges, the brain stops fully participating in decision-making. It stops working so hard or diverts diverts focus to other tasks. So unless you deliberately fight a habit, unless you find new routines, the pattern will unfold automatically. And so they that's that's what's so interesting about how habits work, that the basal ganglia, that kind of primitive part of our brain, the oldest, one of the oldest parts of the brain doesn't require our conscious participation. And when a habit kicks in our prefrontal cortex, which is where our reason, reason lives, it it is not actively participating in that activity. And they, they talk in the, he talks in the book about research studies that were done where they literally were tracking brain waves and watched um, where the, the prefrontal cortex would kind of shut down and not be active anymore when a, when a habit kicked in. Um, in the book, he goes on to say that habits are powerful, but delicate. They can emerge outside our consciousness or can be deliberately designed. They can occur without our permission, but can be reshaped by fiddling with their parts. They shape our lives far more than we realize. They are so strong, in fact, that they cause our brains to cling to them at the exclusion of all else, including common sense. Um, And he explains further in the book that habits are powerful because they create neurological cravings. Our brains learn to anticipate the reward. And this whole section of the book was so interesting to me that that's how a a habit really is formed and, and becomes entrenched and becomes powerful that there's that loop, the cue, routine, reward. But they, in the studies that have been done on habits and how they're formed and how they're changed and all of that and how they work, um, they see, uh, again, they're tracking brain waves with, with the machines that they do this with, and they see the brain responding to, it, it, to the reward. And then over time, as the habit becomes more developed, the brain responds in that same way, even before the reward is given. It's anticipating that reward. And that's how a craving um, is developed. It begins to crave that reward. And so it, it 
kicks into the routine because it wants that reward. And he, he says, this is how habits are created by putting together a cue, a routine and a reward, and then cultivating a craving that drives the loop. And he gives lots of examples in the book of how that works, but it's, it's important to understand this because it, it understanding how they work um, gives us the tools we need in order to create new habits intentionally that will serve us better maybe than some of the ones that we have. He says in the book, these cravings don't have complete authority over us. There are mechanisms that can help us ignore the temptations, but to overpower the habit, we must recognize which craving is driving the behavior. And this, this is, I thought this was so key because if we've got a habit that we you know, that we don't like the result of, okay? And we want to change it. And so we try different things and nothing seems to work. What he says in this book, what the scientists have discovered is you've got to understand which craving is driving that habit, is driving that behavior. Because if you don't, if you address the wrong craving, you're not going to be able to overcome the habit. Um, one example uh, that he gives in the book is running. So say you want to develop a habit of running each morning. And he says, uh, if you want to start running each morning, it's essential that you choose a simple cue, like always lacing up your sneakers before breakfast or leaving your running clothes next to your bed and a clear reward, such as a midday treat, a sense of accomplishment from recording your miles or the endorphin rush you get from a jog. But countless studies, and this I'm still quoting, he says, countless studies have shown that a cure and a reward on their own aren't enough for a new habit to last. Okay, so stop there. This is how we do, you know, when we decide we want to create a new routine to, um, to, to improve our lives. And so say we want to get more exercise, to use the example that he was talking about here. Um, we think, all right, so I'm going to create a list of rewards for myself. If I run, then I'll do this. If I'll run, you know, then I'll get this reward. But that's not enough. We have to understand the craving. You have to develop a cra craving. And he goes on. So, so, so again, the studies have shown that a cure and reward on their own aren't enough for a new habit to last. It, 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 it goes on and says, only after your brain starts expecting the reward, craving the endorphins or that sense of accomplishment, for instance, will it become automatic to lace up your jogging shoes each morning. The cue, in addition to triggering a routine, must also trigger a craving for the reward to come. Cravings are what drive habits. And figuring out how to spark a craving makes creating a new habit easier. So, you know, and he, they're defining cravings as whatever um, is, is the brain's urge to get something, uh, a response to something it doesn't have yet. So sort of like, you know, you see a commercial about, I don't know, I, I must have food on the brain today, but see some uh, uh, a commercial about a hamburger and suddenly you start thinking, oh, I'd like to have a hamburger and you start, your brain starts responding. You may even start salivating, thinking about that, that hamburger or whatever it is. That's how, what a craving is. And it can be a craving for a, something physical. It can be a craving for a, an emotional um, 
reward, a mental reward, any number of things. So there's more I could say about that, but again, I don't want to make this a two-hour long episode. Great information here, really useful, practical kind of thing in understanding how to create new habits that will um, help you move forward towards your goals. He then talks about what he calls the golden rule of habit change. There's a, you know, this whole beginning of the book kind of talks about how habits work, how the brain creates them and manages them and, uh, and the pieces of the habit loop and all of that. Then he goes into a kind of practical section about, so if you, you have a habit that you don't like and you want to replace it, or you want to get rid of that habit, break that habit, we talk about that. Um, he talks about the golden rule of habit change. And he says, you can't change a bad habit. You can only, or you can't, ex- I'm sorry, you can't extinguish a bad habit. You can only change it. And the, the golden rule of habit change is in order to change it, you use the same cue and you provide the same reward, but you change the routine or the action that comes uh, as a result of that cue. So the first step in doing this, in changing a habit, is awareness training. Learning to know what triggers your habitual behavior. Becoming very aware of the, what your, what the cue is and ask yourself the question, what are you feeling right before you do that? Whatever it is that you don't, that you wish you didn't do, um, describe why you do it. How do you feel when you do it? What's the reward? Pay attention to the when and why. And so a lot of this, uh, when you decide you want to and I'm using air quotes, break a bad habit, you really can't, you can't get rid of it. You have to replace it. But the first step is to become very aware of what's driving that habit. What cue um, triggers you doing that thing? If it's, you know, smoking or overeating or, you know, any of the, anything's leaving leaving things lying around the house instead of cleaning up, whatever habit you don't like, what triggers you to do that action? And again, these habits are things that we do unconsciously. And so we have to start paying attention and maybe you journal it and you, when you do whatever this habit is that you want to change, Make note of what were you feeling right before you did it? Were you feeling anxious? Were you feeling angry? Were you feeling tired? Were you feeling bored? What, what was the cue? And what did you feel when you did it, when you did this habit? Um, how did you feel after, what was the reward you got? Did you feel satisfied? Did you feel, um, you know, whatever, whatever the feeling was, becoming aware of those two things, because you're going to keep those, keep the cue and keep the reward, but change what you do in response. So you, you have to start by paying attention to that habit that you're wanting to change, what triggers it, what the reward is, what it is you're doing that you want to change. And then you choose a new response to the trigger. In the book, it's called a competing response what you do instead of the habit you're trying to change. And he says, once you're aware of how your habit works, once you recognize the cues and rewards, you're halfway to changing it. 
the brain can be reprogrammed. You just have to be deliberate about it. And haven't we talked about that in past episodes about the first step being awareness, becoming conscious of these things that we're doing, and then being intentional about what, how to change it. Um, and some of this, uh, this was, I forget which chapter it is, but we're, they're talking about habit reversal training and there, there are these researchers and scientists who've developed it and habit reversal training follows this method, identifying what's the trigger, what's the reward you're going for, and then coming up with a competing response and this habit reversal training has been used to treat, treat things like verbal and physical tics, depression, smoking, gambling problems, anxiety, bedwetting, procrastination, obsessive compulsive disorders, and other behavioral problems. It's based, according to these scientists, on one of the fundamental principles of habits. Often, we don't really understand the cravings driving our behaviors until we look for them. So again, we do these things unconsciously, and the first step to changing our habits is becoming conscious, becoming aware, and watching ourselves, becoming an observer of our behaviors. And uh, the book says several times how important it is to address the craving that drives your habit. So for instance, if you want to stop snacking at work because you know, you're putting on some pounds or something, you need to understand why you do it. Is it to satisfy hunger? Is it to interrupt boredom? Is it to, uh, you know, kind of avoid doing a difficult task? The, the replacement habit, the competing response that you choose needs to address the right craving. So if the reason you snack in the afternoon at work is because you're hungry, then the, then the reward would be, or the, the competing uh, response would be to eat something healthy, prepare ahead of time and have something there. But if the reason you snack in the afternoon is because you're tired and bored, then maybe what you want to do, the competing response or the new habit would be instead of getting up and walking to the um, vending machine to get a cookie, you, uh, you know, walk down the hall and talk to a colleague for a minute and touch base with a human, you know, get a little human interaction or just, you know, do something to alleviate the boredom that doesn't involve eating. The point is that whatever new routine, whatever new habit you're going to create to replace the one you want to get rid of, it's got to address the right craving. Um, the book goes into a lot of interesting stuff about creating new habits and how it's done and shows lots of examples. But he's real careful to note that there is no, and I'm quoting here, there is no specific set of steps guaranteed to work for every person. We know that a habit cannot be eradicated. It must instead be replaced. I, and, and I'm pausing here. This is, was such a revelation to me to understand we can't break a bad habit. It's always going to be there, but we can replace it if we are intentional about it. So then the, this quote goes on, and we know that habits are most malleable when the golden rule of habit change is applied. If we keep the same cue and the same reward, a new routine can be inserted. But that's not enough. For a habit to stay changed, 
People must believe change is possible. And most often, the author is saying here, most often that belief only emerges with the help of a group. So this this is adding no, more layers to this process of changing our habits to, to those that serve us better and help us to be more productive. Um, you've got to follow the, the golden rule. You, you, you have to recognize that a bad habit can't just be broken, it need, it, but it can be replaced. Following that golden rule of keeping the same cue, the same reward, but a new response, a new routine. But first, you know, the next piece is you've got to believe that change is possible. And the book says, and I agree with this, that believing change is possible is more likely to come if you've got a support system. So the book goes on to say, if you want to change a habit, you must find an alternative routine and your odds of success go up dramatically when you commit to changing as part of a group. Belief is essential and it grows out of a communal experience, even if that community is only as large as two people. So if there's a habit you want to change, whether it's procrastinating or overeating or not exercising or um, things more that are more serious to you than that, you, you need to believe that change is possible and you're more likely to be successful if you develop a support system, if you're part of a group, if you find a buddy to work with you on this to be accountable, who's maybe working toward the same goal. We've talked about this in the past. I think this is one of the great advantages of a mastermind type thing, whether it's the productive woman mastermind or any other, that accountability and that um, mutual support helps us to believe that change is possible and it can make a huge difference in our ability to uh, create better habits that are help us to be more productive. Another thing he talks about in the book is uh, something called keystone habits. And he says, keystone habits say that success doesn't depend on getting every single thing right but instead relies on identifying a few key priorities and fashioning them into powerful lever levers. The habits that matter most are the ones that when they start to shift, dislodge and remake other patterns. And he says, um, keystone habits work by creating small wins. He quotes some studies and says, a huge body of research has shown that small wins have enormous power and influence disproportionate to the accomplishments of the victories themselves. Small wins fuel transformative changes by leveraging tiny advantages into patterns that convince people that bigger achievements are within reach. And think back to that earlier quote that says the final element in successfully changing habits is belief that change is possible. Do, finding that keystone habit, and the book goes into more detail about what that is, but that creates small wins that snowball and help us to believe that bigger change is possible. And then he talks about willpower. Um, and, and says that dozens of studies show that willpower is the single most important keystone habit for individual success. And the best way to strengthen will, willpower is to make it into a habit. Willpower is 
he says, uh, and I'm oversimplifying here, but it's the ability to delay gratification. And he says in the book, willpower isn't just a skill, it's a muscle, like the muscles in your arms or legs, and it gets tired as it works harder, so there's less power left over for other things. If you want to do something that requires willpower, like going for a run after work, you have to conserve your willpower muscle during the day. And, um, you know, that, that involves conserving willpower during the day is to make other things into habits that don't require use of willpower. Save your willpower for the new things you want to do, the new habits you want to develop. He says the, as you strengthen your willpower in one area of life, it spills over into other areas. One researcher he quoted in the book said, when you learn to force yourself to go to the gym or start your homework or eat a salad instead of a hamburger, part of what's happening is that you're changing how you think. People get better at regulating their impulses. They learn how to distract themselves from temptations. And once you've gotten into that willpower groove, your brain is practiced at helping you focus on a goal. He shared a number of stories about um, developing plans to strengthen willpower. So it starts by, uh, in other words, planning ahead, doing it on purpose, that intentionality again. Uh, he says it starts with becoming aware, here we are with the awareness again, of where your weak points are and developing a plan to address it. So one example, um, he, you want to develop a habit of working out regularly, so you have to figure out where, where's your weak point? Where do you fall? Where does that uh, impulse to exercise or that plan to do it fail you? They, uh, in the book, he calls them inflection points. Those are the times when our pain is the greatest. And so you have to look and say, okay, you want to develop a habit of working out regularly. Why don't you? Where does the plan fall apart? Uh, do you come home and sit down to watch TV j for just a minute and then, then don't get up? If that's your weak point, then come up with a plan to prevent that from happening. Maybe pack your gym bag and keep it in the car and stop at the gym on your way home before you get home. Uh, maybe schedule a tennis game or a jog with a friend, but figure out what the weak point is um, where your willpower is the weakest and prepare for that. Be aware of your weak moments, plan ahead to deal with them. He says in the book, this is how willpower becomes a habit. By choosing a certain behavior ahead of time and following that routine, having your plan in place, following that routine when an inflection point arrives. arrives. Um, the book goes more and more into, uh, you know, talks more about uh, habits and goes beyond just personal habits, but also looks at how organizations and societies organize themselves and how peer pressure works to change behavior. And that was really interesting. He goes on to say, um, and what at one point, hundreds of habits influence our days. They guide how we get dressed in the morning, talk to our kids and fall asleep at night. They impact what we eat for lunch, how we do business and whether we exercise or have a beer after work. Each of them, he says, has a different cue and offers a unique reward. Some are simple and others are complex, drawing upon emotional triggers and offering subtle neurochemical prizes. But every habit, no matter its complexity, is malleable. However, to modify a habit, you must decide to change it. You must consciously accept the hard work of identifying the cues and rewards that drive the habit's routines and find alternatives. You must know you have control 
and be self-conscious enough to use it. I just, I thought that was so important. I'm going to say that again, because so much of what we're, uh, the conversations that I've had with myself and with you, uh, with many of you, is a frustration about the things that we do that we wish we didn't or the things we wish we would do that we just can't seem to get ourselves to do. And it's all based on habits. And, and so I want to say, read this again. Every habit, no matter its complexity, is malleable. It's changeable. However, he says, to modify a habit, you must decide to change it You must consciously accept the hard work of identifying the cues and rewards that drive the habits routines and find alternatives. You must know you have control and be self-conscious enough to use it. He then goes on and says, if you believe you can change, if you make it a habit, the change becomes real. That is the real power of habit the insight that your habits are what you choose them to be. Love that. Um, He says, no matter how strong our willpower, we're guaranteed to fall back into our old ways once in a while. But if we plan for those relapses, if we take steps to make sure those slips don't become a habit, it's easier to get back on track. Um, My goodness, it's, (laughs) I thought this was going to be a short episode. Um, I want to wrap up kind of, there's an appendix of the book that's full of very practical ideas on how to apply these principles. Um, he, He reminds us that there's no single formula for changing habits, but it offers a Uh, in the book, in this appendix, a framework, starting by identifying the routine, understand your own habits by identifying the components of your loops, um, and then experiment with rewards, try different things to see what motivates you. He says rewards are powerful because they satisfy cravings. To figure out what cravings are driving particular habits, it's useful to experiment with different rewards. Then he says, isolate the cue and have a plan. Um, I I wanted to finish with something that actually I thought of at the beginning of the book, because in the prologue, he mentions several different case studies of people who had, as he put it, remade their lives in a relatively short time. And I thought, you know, we say that change takes time, but honestly, that's not true. Change happens instantaneously. I want you to think about that for a minute. Thinking about change, preparing to change, and trying to change, those all take time. But change happens instantaneously. Preparing and trying and thinking about it takes time. But when it happens, it's like flipping a switch. One moment you're a smoker or an overeater or a liar or a gambler or a procrastinator or whatever and the next moment you aren't. If you believe change is possible, even the most entrenched habit can be changed if you're prepared to do the work. So those are some thoughts from this book. Again, it's a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Highly recommend this book. It really has been very helpful and influential to me in my thinking about kind of organizing, ordering my life and the habits that I'm using and whether they are Um, whether they're serving me. What about you though? What do you think? Are there any, are the habits that you have developed in your life actually serving you? Is there a habit you'd like to change? Can I help support you in that? 
Um, I would love to hear from you. Share your questions or thoughts in the comments section of the show notes. For this episode, you'll find those show notes at theproductivewoman.com slash 147. Or post a comment or question in the Productive Woman Community Facebook group. Uh, come and join us if you're not there already. You can go to theproductivewoman.com slash group and click on the join button. Um, and be sure and share the show with your friends. Help them to uh, come and be part of the community. Quick word about our sponsor, Alt-MBA. As I mentioned before, this is an intensive leadership and management workshop. It's an immersive four-week online experience that brings you together with other leaders in a variety of fields. And together, during the program, you'll work on actual hands-on projects, applying the concepts you're learning, and building a portfolio of work that demonstrates your increasing skills and knowledge. So if you're a busy woman who wants to learn and grow as a leader and in increase your impact in the world, check out the Alt-MBA as a different way to level up your management and leadership skills. They're accepting applications right now for the fall session. So to find out more, visit altmba.com slash productive women. And for special consideration, you can mention this podcast in the application and tell them I sent you. Also, don't forget to check out our other sponsor, FreshBooks, and take advantage of their special offer of a free 30-day unrestricted trial of their outstanding cloud accounting service. If you've got a business and you do, you know your fi finances are driving you crazy, this, this may be a, a resource you want to check out. Visit freshbooks.com woman and enter the productive woman in their how did you hear about us section. And thank you so much to Alt-MBA and FreshBooks for supporting the productive woman. And that is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope you found something in it that is useful to you. I hope you'll check out that book and let me know what you think. I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter. The Productive Woman is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.